It's 11 minutes before the hour, and you are listening to Raven Radio KCAW. Sitka Today is Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. I'm Catherine Rose, and this is Raven News. It's been over a week since a tugboat ran aground north of Sitka, leading to a large diesel spill. Now that the spring herring run is in full swing, the state is advising against the harvest of herring eggs in areas where fuel has been seen. The wrecked tugboat The Western Mariner has been beached since March 21st in Neva Strait. And while salvage crews managed to patch the leaks and remove just over 32,000 gallons of diesel and around 11,000 gallons of mixed oil and water from the boat directly, it's still unclear how much fuel leaked into the ocean. Throughout the following days, fuel sheen was observed throughout the strait and in nearby coves. On March 24th, three days after the spill, the widest spread of sheen was observed during aerial surveys, as far north as Salisbury Sound and as far south as Crestoff Sound. The herring began to spawn over the weekend, though, meaning it's time for subsistence harvesters to set hemlock branches and kelp along the shoreline to be coated with eggs. The timing of the spill could not be worse. KCAW spoke with subsistence harvester Paulette Moreno on March 25th, shortly before she went out to survey the areas where she plans to set branches. The oil spill and the sheen that recently happened here in Sitka is much more serious and heart-wrenching than originally presented. There has been much effort made However, with a turn of events, it is, it is every person who loves this land opportunity and responsibility to respond to this crisis. On March 26, the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services and the Department of Environmental Conservation issued a joint seafood safety advisory. It recommends that no herring eggs be harvested from Neva Strait or St. John Baptist Bay until further notice. Rachel Kryeski is an on-scene coordinator with the DEC. She says they're recommending harvesters avoid those two areas because it's where the heaviest diesel sheens have been observed. We issued that statement out of an abundance of caution until we have more information to, you know, confidently say that, you know, it is safe to go ahead and harvest there. So we're just trying to make sure that, you know, we're being as precautious as as possible. The advisory also says to avoid harvesting or eating any eggs that smell or taste of oil, avoid setting gear in areas where sheens can be seen, and relocate harvest efforts outside of the area where a surface sheen has been observed. Sarah Yoder works for DHSS, managing the Environmental Public Health Program. She says the risk of eating herring eggs or seafood that has been contaminated by diesel fuel is hard to gauge because it's hard to know how much diesel they've been exposed to. Just like with other toxic substances, the likelihood of any health problems depends on things such as how much, how often, or for how long someone has been exposed. An occasional meal of um, some herring grow is less likely to increase um, risk potential potential health effects than you know, eating that every single day for a long period of time. Yoder says in general, the longer time passes after a fuel spill and the longer an area has been without visible sheen, the safer things become, though diesel can cling to fine grain sediments, which can prolong the time it takes for fuel to dissipate. As time passes and you know, areas flushed with you know, clean water, these, the, the risk becomes less and less. 
it's really hard to have a um, safe or not safe termination um, without you know a lot of data. Kryeski with the DEC says the advisory applies to all types of harvest, including commercial. The Alaska DEC communicates its situation reports with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game daily. You know, the, the partnership is, is working as such where we're keeping them informed and, and then they can make an informed decision regarding whether or not to conduct a commercial fishery. As of March 26th, five days after the spill, the State Department of Environmental Conservation was reporting no visible fuel sheen outside of Neva Strait. But sheening was still present directly around the vessel and between Entrance Island just south of Wyville Reef, the largest shore on the eastern side of Neva Strait. Kryeski says they're still monitoring the area 24 hours a day and replacing sorbent boom regularly. Our SCAT team is out in the field today, and um, hopefully soon we'll have a full report from them that will identify any, any beaches that need extra attention. While reports of the situation are still in flux, Moreno says that for subsistence harvesters, this year feels different, as she braced herself to see the effects the spill has on the surrounding environment. It's a lot, not only on our minds, but on our hearts. This is a this is a different year. What would our elders say? Kryeski says they hope to refloat the Western Mariner in the next few days. They will have a large team on site monitoring the boom surrounding the vessel in the event that more diesel leaks into the water. A subsistence fishing method that's become more popular with sockeye harvesters in Sitka in recent years is now banned. The Alaska Board of Fisheries last week prohibited the use of spear guns in the Readout Lake management area. Proponents of the ban argued that spearfishing was inefficient, dangerous, and disruptive to schooling sockeye, and likely illegal in any case. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The Readout Lake Falls are about a 15-mile skiff ride from Sitka. The Forest Service fertilizes the lake every year, and the sockeye run there typically produces large numbers of fish that are a bit bigger than their cousins at Necker Bay and Clag Bay, both of which are farther away and more challenging to reach. Dip netting in the falls and snagging in the bay are the most common techniques for subsistence harvesters, but over the past few years, more people have been putting on wetsuits and snorkels and fishing at the base of the falls with spear guns. Sitka's Fish and Game Advisory Committee voted on dozens of management proposals last fall in preparation for the Alaska Board of Fisheries meeting this March in Anchorage, but it did not vote on the proposed spearfishing ban. Committee Chair Heather Bauscher explained the situation to the board. This was a funny proposal at our meeting because the folks that have been involved in this this emerging uh, spear fishery for these sockeye kind of showed up in force because there's been people doing this for years and it's been growing. And so all these folks came up and gave a whole bunch of testimony about it. And we had this long conversation trying to figure out how to draw lines to allow them some sort of space until we realized that actually it wasn't legal. And part of what was not legal about it is you could do the spear from the shore but you couldn't be submerged in the water with the spear. Bauscher is correct. A spear is legal gear for subsistence, provided you use it from shore. Proposal 132 presumably would ban the use of a spear by an individual who is immersed. Being immersed anywhere in the frigid waters of Alaska means using dive gear. 
Troy Tydinko, acting regional sport fish manager for ADF&G, suggested that connecting these dots meant that spearfishing, the underwater activity, was already prohibited. Although spear is listed as a legal gear type, um, uh, and presumably dive gear is listed as legal gear type in subsistence regulations, this, the uh, readout management plan only lists spear um, and not dive gear. Uh, so spear is a legal gear type, um, however dive gear is not, um, which would uh, make, uh, basically just mean that being submerged um, and using specifically gear, uh, snorkel gear, like mask snorkel, would not be legal in the subsistence fishery. The Board of Fish struggled a bit to clarify what it was being asked to regulate, Board member Israel Payton sympathized with the proposer, Sitkin Floyd Tompkins, who wrote that divers disrupted schools of sockeye as they prepared to head into the falls and were essentially entering and exiting the water with a loaded weapon in close proximity to fishermen on shore. Payton recounted his own experience dip netting for salmon near Homer with a spear fisherman in the water. It was disruptive to all the other dip netters and snaggers in the area, and it's not an efficient means to harvest these fish. So I'll, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I would like to not see this happen at all. I'm for banning people swimming underwater by any means harvesting a fish and kind of disrupting traditional means of harvesting fish. Member John Wood was less sympathetic. He believed that sorting out user conflict wasn't in the board's purview. In this particular case, yeah, it's disruptive, but I don't know that we have the uh, responsibility of, of making sure that the grounds are peaceful. Uh, so. Uh, I'm having trouble supporting it. I understand the sentiment. But board member Mackenzie Mitchell did see the proposal as a way of managing user conflict and preserving traditional access to the fish. While she wasn't anti-spearfishing, she did want divers out of the way of other harvesters. My intent with this would be you cannot disrupt, you know, an area where people are dip netting or that would be the way that I would look at it is that boats and dip netters and snaggers have the right of way to that access and someone diving with a spear gun would have to find an area where they are not in conflict with other users. Proposal 132 banning spearfishing for sockeye at Readout Falls while immersed in the water passed 4-2 with board members Jensen and Wood opposed. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. I'm Catherine Rose and this has been Raven News.